All right, folks, what I'd like you to do is I'd like you to turn your Bible to chapter 8. So, you know, chapter 7, when we looked at chapter 7 the last few weeks, it was kind of focused on the reaction to Jesus. And we saw that, there, you know, people, not everybody was embracing him. We had the leaders who were wanting to get rid of him. We had the crowd that couldn't figure out who he was, and they were wrestling with it. Some said he was the prophet. Some said he was the Messiah. Some people just couldn't grasp that because of where he came from. And so we focused on all that. So now we're coming to chapter 8, and in the midst of chapter 8, at the beginning of chapter 8, actually it starts in verse 53 of chapter 7, through chapter 8, verse 11, is an interesting story a narrative, a historical story that is in, in our text that most people know. We're going to talk about the woman caught in adultery. Now, most people know that story. How do I know that most people know that story? Well, because there is a line in this narrative that Jesus says that I hear all the time quoted. I hear it quoted by people who don't even claim to be Christian. What line is that? Let me say it to you. Maybe you've heard it. He who is without sin, let him cast the first stone. Have you heard that line? Now, I've heard it in a church. How many of you have heard that outside of church from somebody at some point, right? Okay. So this is the story that it comes from. It is a beautiful story reflecting the heart of Jesus. Now, I'm going to shock some of you for a moment. So I have to qualify as I begin this story to help you to, to realize something. This is a, a questionable passage. What? what? What are we talking about? Well, the earliest manuscripts of our New Testament did not include this story until the 5th century. And when it appeared in the 5th century, it actually appeared in some manuscripts here in John, in this part. Some manuscripts had this story at the end of John. And some manuscripts, are you ready for this, had this in Luke. So, and the ancient church fathers didn't mention it until the 5th century. And when they mentioned it, they would say, well, it's not in the earlier manuscripts. Okay, well, what do we do with this? Is this... Is the Bible got a problem? Is it got an error? Well, if you have an NIV, some of you have an NIV this morning, you'll notice that verses 1 to 11 of chapter 8 are not in your Bible. They're in a footnote at the bottom of your Bible. Okay? We use the New King James, and so the New King James includes it in the text because it's in the majority text. Now, here, let me just ease your mind. It is the general consensus upon scholars that this is a story about Jesus. That this is not some made-up thing that just got stuck in by some monk somewhere in the 5th century. That this probably is, this is very much an ancient story. Ancient as in from the time of Jesus. And... It reflects who he is. It's part of oral tradition. Now, how do I know that? How's that possible? We're going to look at the last verse of John. John chapter 21. Look at verse 25. Okay, here's what it says. 
the end of this chapter, so actually it being put in this gospel is actually okay. Well, let me say it's okay for us. Here's what the writer writes. And there are also many other things that Jesus did, which if we were written one by one, I suppose that even the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. Now, what's going on here? What it's telling us here, so as I begin this message, is what we read about Jesus in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John is not the total record of everything Jesus did. Does everybody understand that? So when the early church met, they didn't have the complete canon. They had collections of the writings, but the canon that you have wasn't completed until Constantine became emperor and okayed it for the empire, Christianity, 300. So at that time, in those early years, there were, the disciples were going around sharing oral tradition and some of the writings that were written, such as our letters and our gospels. And so the scholars feel that this is an ancient story about Jesus that we can learn from, that reflects who he is. Now, I could have done what some pastors do. Some pastors just skip over this passage and don't say anything to you. I know some guys who've done that, famous guys who've done that. But I actually think that this is a great story that reflects the heart of Jesus. Now, why is that so important? Well, let me start off. So if you have your thing that you're writing notes on, we're going to talk about common perspectives right now. Common perceptions. Here, here's what I find when I, t I deal with people individually. So when I, when I pastor, George, meet with people, and I talk with them about what's going in their life, typically what happens is, is we talk about, always, we don't talk about the Steelers, because I'm not a football guy. We might talk about hunting, but you're going to talk about hunting so much. Do you, know, you know what I'm saying? But people don't meet with me to talk about hunting, okay? People meet with me to talk about their relationship with the Lord or some other issue that they would like God to help them through. So as we talk, what I find is, is that people have some common perceptions that guide them in their thinking about how the Lord sees them. So let me just stop for a moment. If I were to ask you right now, I'm not going to ask you to say it out loud, but I want you to think about it right now in your mind. What would you say is how God sees you? So here's the two thoughts I have for you. Perception is the greatest hindrance to your relationship with Jesus. Perception is the greatest hindrance to your relationship with Jesus. Now, let me, let me illustrate that in a human way so that you understand what I'm talking about. Okay. So, have you ever done somebody wrong? Yeah, if you're a human being, you do somebody wrong all the time, right? 
Now, when you do somebody wrong, that relationship changes. It changes because the person you did wrong is hurt, and so maybe they treat you differently. But you're also, you change it, not because you just hurt that relationship, but because now your perception of the person that you hurt has changed. So now when you get with the person that you did wrong, you kind of have an anxiety level thing going on. Your anxiety goes up a little bit. How are they going to respond? How are they going to act? How are, how are they going to perceive me? Can, 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 can they forgive me? Can, can they forget? Are they, going to, are they going to bring it up? What am, how am I going to? This are the things that go through your mind. Does everybody understand what I'm talking about? You can relate to that, right? That's how we are as human beings. Now, here's the thing. Relationships with God are the same way with relationships with each other. When it comes to a relationship with the Lord, we have the same anxiety levels going on with us, and that is, how's he going to respond? I know I didn't do right in this area. I've confessed it. In fact, some of you have been confessing the same sin for 20 years. That's something you did 20 years ago. Every time you go with Jesus, you think, Oh, he's still seeing that, he's still seeing that. And you're different now, but you still see yourself or you still see the relationship with Jesus based upon that thing 20 years ago. So perception is the greatest hindrance to your relationship with Jesus. Now here's the second point I want you to realize. We tend to see Jesus, now here's the perception, we tend to see Jesus as rigid and miss his compassion. We tend to see him as rigid, so therefore we miss the compassion of Christ. We tend to see him as ready to drop the hammer. And because of that, we find very little room to see him as compassionate. To see him as somebody who loves us. So can I say it? Sometimes our perceptions may lead to an element of fear. What do you mean, George? Well, life happens, doesn't it? Life happens. Okay, so I'm, uh, I've, I did this before when I was younger and, and more immature in my relationship with Christ. I remember years ago when I first met Lori, I had a GMC Jimmy. Wow, you know, I, I love my GMC Jimmy. Now here's the problem. When I bought it, I bought it in South Carolina. Because I grew up in South Carolina, I was working in South Carolina, I was going to school in Virginia, but I bought my GMC Jimmy in South Carolina. Now here's the thing, folks. SUVs in the South don't necessarily come four-wheel drive. I bought a two-wheel drive. Now that works okay in South Carolina where it never snows. I got married to Lori, we move up here. And two-wheel drive in the winter here, rear two-wheel drive in the winter here, that's like wanting to commit suicide, right? 
And I remember one time we lived in near Smicksburg, PA, near Plumville, PA. I had to go into Indiana, PA, and so I went into Indiana, and it was starting to snow, and the roads were getting a little slick, and so I made it into Indiana, and I was coming back. And I'm going down 85, and, uh, you know, there were some friends and family who had a dealership nearby there on the side of the road of 85, and I'm coming down the road, and it's a slow grade, and I'm just trucking along with my truck, driving in the snow, being careful, because I'm not from Pennsylvania, okay? This is our first year. I'm heading out to the family farm, and the rear of the vehicle just kind of slides out from, from behind me. And then I'm starting to spin. And when you're starting to spin, you're like, oh my goodness, I'm going to flip. I'm going to die. Jesus! I'm sorry! Why? Why would I say I'm sorry? Perception. Because the bad thing that's happening to me was because maybe God's getting back at me or punishing me. Oh, by the way, the end of the story was is I spun off the road and there was like a big dip and, and, and I just landed, ended up in the driveway of the dealership there. Okay, but I was white as a sheet, drove up in there, talked to Lori's cousin, and he's like, what happened to you? Well, you know, uh, but what I want to share with you is The next time something bad happens, what's the first thought that comes to your mind? What did I do, Lord, to deserve this? That's a perception issue. That's a perception that you and I have about our relationship with Jesus. So here comes this ancient story that reflects who Jesus really is with us. So hopefully, it will help us today. So let's look at it together. If you have your Bibles, let's, let's back up to chapter 7, look at verse 53, and then we'll work our way through verse 11 of chapter 8. Verse 53 and everyone went to his house. But Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. Now early in the morning, he came again into the temple and the people came to him. And he sat down and taught them. Then the scribes and the Pharisees brought to him a woman caught in adultery. Then they had set, when, and when they had set her in the midst, they said to him, Teacher, this woman was caught in adultery in the very act. Now Moses in the law commanded us that such should be stoned. But what do you say? This they said, testing him that they might have something of which to accuse him. But Jesus stooped down and wrote on the ground with his finger as though he did not hear. 
So when they continued asking him, he raised him, he raised himself up and said to them, He who is without sin among you, let him throw a stone at her first. And again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. Then those who heard it, being convicted by their conscience, went out one by one, beginning with the oldest, even to the last. And Jesus was left alone, and the woman standing in the midst. And when Jesus had raised himself up and saw no one but the woman, he said to her, Woman, where are your accusers? Where are those accusers of yours? Has no one condemned you? She said, No one, Lord. And Jesus said to her, Neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Now here's what we're going to do with this passage, folks. We're going to look, first of all, the first six verses are going to be about public humiliation. Public humiliation. I think we all understand that in some form or another. We'll talk about that a little bit. And then we're going to focus on verse 11 and talk about Jesus. And from this story, I want to correct some perceptions you and I might have about Jesus and about how he looks at you and about how he interacts with you and about how he deals with you. Do you understand what I'm saying? Because I think sometimes we need to pause more than just reflect on the statement and look exactly what's going on here with this narrative and see some things that will open your mind and your hearts to the reality of the love that Jesus has for you. In spite of you. What do you mean in spite of you? Well, I think in order to approach a passage like this, you have to grasp this one reality. You are, I am, a sinner. I do wrong things. I do wrong things purposely, and I do wrong things ignorantly. I'm not perfect. You're not perfect. And if you think you are, talk to a family member. They'll quickly tell you you're not perfect. Did you understand what I'm saying? But yet, when we realize who we are, we have this, now this, how does God see me? Well, let's take a look at what he says in this passage. Let's look. First of all, first thing I want you to notice is verse 3 through 4. Then the scribes and the Pharisees brought to him a woman caught in adultery, and when... They set her in the midst. They said to him, Teacher, this woman was caught in adultery in the very act. All right, so here's what happens. This is interesting. This happens even to this day. Sometimes in our churches, we will have situations where somebody will present somebody even to a congregation and say, This person was caught in a sin, and they want the church to deal with it. That's a whole other discussion. I'm not going to have that discussion right now. I don't think that's a proper thing. I don't think what they're doing here is proper. Actually, what they're doing here 
is evil. What do you mean? Well, they're applying a double standard here. Because look, notice something. They, they didn't just find a woman they caught in adultery. They said they found her in the very act, which means they found her engaging in adultery with somebody else. Now, notice who they brought to Jesus. They brought the woman. They didn't bring who? It usually takes two to tango, right? What's going on here? There's a double standard. So here's what I want you to see. Operating on a double standard, the religious sought to humiliate the sinner. All right, so let's stop for a moment. I think I need to clarify this point first and foremost. Can I tell you that when you read the New Testament, yes, it tells you to stop sinning. Yes, it tells you what things are sin. But can I also tell you that when it talks about dealing with somebody in sin, well, here it is, Galatians chapter 6, verse 1. You who are spiritual, if someone is caught in sin, what? You are to deal with them in gentleness and meekness. Why? Because you want to restore them. Why? Because you could possibly do the same thing. That's a George Cannon paraphrase. Always in the scripture, the purpose of dealing with people in sin is to restore them to what? The relationship with Jesus. Now the problem is, is that religious people want to humiliate people. And there may be a number of reasons why they want to do that, because it makes them look good or it shows their superiority spiritually, whatever that is. But here we see this. We see this happening. They got a double standard. They only bring her. They don't bring the other guy. Maybe it's because they knew the other guy. We could sit here and speculate all day long. Why'd they only bring her? But they did. It's got a double standard. And what? They want to humiliate her. Here's the second thing I want you to see. Look with me at verse 5 and 6. Now Moses in the law commanded us, that such should be stoned, what do you say? They're asking Jesus this question. This, they said, testing that they might have something of which to accuse him. But Jesus stooped down and wrote on the ground with his finger as though he did not hear. All right, here's the thing. They also sought to discredit Jesus with the judgment of sin. So here's what they're doing. They thought, okay, we got him. There's one other time in the scripture where they thought they got him. When they said, oh, you know, remember the, in the Gospels they said, do we pay taxes to Caesar? They thought, we'll get him. And he said, show me a coin whose inscription is on it. And then he said, what? Give to Caesar what is Caesar. Give to the Lord what is the Lord's. This is another dilemma that they're posing. Here's the dilemma. Jesus is, at this point, very popular among the common people. Very popular among all of the people, and they're, so they're posing a question to him, and they want to trap him, because first of all, if he says, no, don't stone her, then he's denouncing the law, and then they can reject him. But if he says, stone her, 
he loses popularity with the people. You see what's going on here? So they're trying to discredit Jesus here. They're trying to create a situation where he doesn't look good either way. Also, I just need to point something out. This is the only passage in the Bible where it says anything about Jesus writing something. Is that interesting? Yeah? All right, let's go on. That brings us to the whole issue of Jesus now. And so now I really want you to listen. But I want you to listen with your ears tuned to something that you need to hear. Like, what do I need to tune my ears to? So as you are looking at Jesus and how he deals with this situation with this woman, I want you to listen with ears that thinks about you in your situation and how God perceives you. Do you understand what I'm saying? Put yourself in her shoes and replace the sin of adultery with whatever it is in your life. Because guess what? The religious will accuse you of your stuff if they knew it, right? Here's what I want you to see. Let's look at Jesus. Look with me at verse 7. So they continued asking him, and he raised himself up and said to them, He who is without sin among you, let him cast a stone at her first. All right, now there are two things happening here that you need to be aware of. This is a powerful statement. And it answers the dilemma. Why? Because here's what Jesus is doing. First of all, Jesus affirms the law and did not excuse sin away. All right, so let me just stop. Sometimes we can have this concept because there, there are groups out there who will just be focused on the love of Jesus and, and forget about that God has a problem with sin. Now, these religious people, they wouldn't be in that group. They want to deal with sin. So they're trying to catch Jesus here and say, whoa, what's your, what's your opinion on this, Jesus? Because if you denounce the law then there's something wrong with you. Well, here's what Jesus does. He affirms the law. Why? Because he's the one who wrote it. Jesus is God. And he doesn't excuse away sin. So guess what he does? He says, okay, let's stone her. But the first guy who has no sin, you throw the first stone. He affirms the law. So, okay, so here you are, you're wrestling with what you've done wrong. You feel convicted. I'm going to tell you right now, that conviction comes from the Holy Spirit. God affirms you did wrong. You did wrong. You say, well, I don't have a problem realizing that he affirms the law. That's part of my perception problem because I think he's mad at me, George. Well, that brings us to the second point here. Here's the second point I want you to see. Yet, Jesus exposes the hearts of everyone and the hypocrisy within. 
See, people, especially in church, you know, I, I can remember, you know, I, in my earlier years of ministry, which means before here, and even in my training and in my early, young few years in that little bitty church in West Columbia, South Carolina, with that group of, of independent Baptists there, man, we were real quick, and, and Lori will tell you, that even right out of seminary, I, I had a very, very critical spirit. I, I was a very judgmental person. It was real easy for me to sit around and talk about what other people were doing wrong. Thankfully, I got over that. How? Wake up to what I'm doing wrong. Realize that Jesus forgives me and what I am doing is just as bad as what they're doing. Do you understand what I'm saying? And so what I found myself is I found myself to be a little bit more tolerant of people. Because I quote that famous quote now from George Whitfield, the evangelist from several hundred years ago when he's walking by the gallows and he sees a man being led to be hung and he says, there but for the grace of God go I. And so I tell myself, given the right circumstances, the right situation, who's to say that I wouldn't do the same thing? And see, Jesus exposes that. How? When he makes his statement, he who is without sin, let him be the first to get up a stone and throw it at her. He's exposing right there the reality, their hearts. And with that, he exposes their what? Hypocrisy. Because they're so ready to condemn that they're overlooking what? their own sins, their own evil in their heart. You say, okay, wow. That tells you how Jesus sees you in the midst of your sin. The last two points I'm going to talk to you about are how Jesus deals with us. So I want you to notice with me now. <clears throat> Verse 10, here's what happens. Jesus raised himself up and saw no one but the woman, and he said to the woman, Woman, where are, your, where are those accusers of yours? Has no one condemned you? And she said, No, Lord. And Jesus said to her, Neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. All right, now here's two things I need you to hear me. Two things you forget everything else I talked about, I need you to hear me with these two things. Because we're talking about perceptions, right? About how God sees you and sees you in your failure. Okay, here it is. Here's the first one. Jesus expresses compassion as he readily forgives. <clears throat> All right. So here's what happens. So when Jesus says that, there's silence. 
The guys who are accusing her, they're not saying anything. They're probably dumbfounded. Uh, uh, and, and so they slowly walk away. Now, it's interesting. The text will tell you that those who are older walk away first before the younger. Why? Well, you know what? I'm 55 now. I'm going to be 56 in a few weeks, okay? I'm going to tell you right now, I am more aware of my mistakes, my sins, my failures as I get older than I ever was 30 years ago. The older you get, the more you realize the reality of who you are. Do you understand what I'm saying? And, and the older you get, have you noticed old people sometimes have regrets a lot? More, more young people don't have a lot of regrets. Old people, we just carry them in a, in, a, in a, you remember those little wagons we used to carry our kids around in? We got ours, we're carrying ours with us or on a backpack, our regrets. And for some of us, they weigh us down. And with those regrets, we think God perceives us a certain way. Now, here's, here's what I want you to understand. So when we carry those regrets and we have those things that are on us, we think that God sees us that way. I'm telling you what is happening here is, okay, so these accusers leave. It's just Jesus and her. Now, for some of us with our perception that God is rigid and doesn't have any compassion, we would think he would say to her, you lucked out on that one. Make sure you do better the next time. We're, we think God's like a dad, a disciplinarian, ready to, boom, squash us. No, he says, look, where are your accusers? They're not here. I don't accuse you either. He forgives her. It's a beautiful story. It's a prophecy over in Zechariah chapter 3. When you read it, the prophecy of Zechariah is that Joshua the high priest is standing before the Lord and Satan is there accusing him. And the angel of the Lord is there. And Joshua the high priest is, is in dirty garments. When you talk about garments in the Old and New Testament, it talks about you and your righteousness. So he is stained from head to toe, from turban down. Satan is there accusing him. Folks, he's the accuser of the brethren. He knows more about what you've done in the past. Let me just kind of point out to you, he remembers He's like that person at your family reunion who remembers something you did as a 10-year-old, and here you are 20 years later, and he keeps bringing it up. Do you know what that's like? And you're like, man, I come here to have a good time. He keeps bringing it up. Satan's like that. He keeps bringing up your junk. Well, here it is, this beautiful picture in Zechariah. And here's what the angel of the Lord says. The Lord rebuke you, Satan. The Lord rebuke you. Is this not a brand plucked from the fire? And then he calls for Joshua the high priest to be clothed in white and for a clean turban to be put on his head. 
That is a powerful illustration. There is the accuser accusing you. And the Lord rebukes him. Why? Because you are, like Joshua, a brand plucked from the fire. You have been saved. You have been forgiven. And he takes away your old junky garments. And he closes you with new ones. Isn't that not awesome? Some of you need to hear that. Some of you, as you're going to him about stuff that happened 10 years ago, 15 years ago, even as you're going to him about stuff that happened two months ago, but you've been talking to him about it ever since. Look, when you went to him and asked for forgiveness, he forgives. Because he paid the price for that sin. Why? So that he can have that relationship with you. Man, that's so hard for us to grasp. So hard. He expresses compassion as he readily forgives. Here's the second thing he does, though. Here's the thing that you and I need to grasp, though. As he forgives us, because that in itself is freeing, right? That in itself... If that doesn't change you, like if you had this human thing going on and you know you did somebody wrong and then somebody comes and tells you, hey, it's okay, you can go interact with them again, they're okay with you, you're like ready to go back and have a relationship again with them, right? It's the same thing now. The scripture's telling you God forgives you. But here's what Jesus does say. And sometimes we miss it. Look at that last part of what he says there in verse 11. Neither do I condemn you. Go, here it is, and sin no more. Here's the last thing I want you to see. Yet Jesus also calls the sinner to stop sinning. He forgives, but here's what he does. Stop. Quit doing it. Quit doing it. You say, George, I've tried. I, I mean, I've, I've gone to him. I've asked for forgiveness. I know he forgives me, but man, I keep doing it. Yeah, so go with me to Proverbs. And Proverbs says a righteous man falls seven times, but he what? Picks himself up. Remember Psalm 37, I'm always quoting that one to you. Steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord and he delights in them though he yet stumble. That whole issue of stumbling there, folks, is sinning. He will not be utterly cast down. Why? Because the Lord upholds him with his hand. It's still God's grace and love. But here's what he's saying. Stop. Stop. I'll help you stop. Is that not? Okay, so let's just, okay, so we've been talking about how, it, how the relationship with Jesus is so similar to human relationships. Okay, so let me just tell you right now, that's where it's not. Because in a human relationship, if you keep doing the same thing over, at some point we're going to write you off. Is that not what we do? 
fool me once, shame on me, fool me twice, you know, or fool me once, shame on you, fool me, I, I gotta get it wrong. But you know what I'm saying? First time we're okay with it, you do it 10 times, I don't need my head examined, we gotta end something here, right? That's a human reaction. But you know, with God, he says, I forgive you. Stop. I'll help you stop. I know it's going to be hard, but I'll help you stop. All right, so what do we do with this, George? How do you see Jesus? What's your perception of him? Is he just waiting to drop the hammer? Is he like that third grade teacher? I mean, I had a third grade teacher like that. She was always watching me like a hawk, waiting for me to do the wrong thing so she could say, George, no recess. And I'll be honest, I didn't deserve recess. I was bad, okay? But do we have that perception that he's like that? Some of you have that perception. Some of you have that perception for other people. I mean, I've, somebody has a tragedy happen. Wonder what they did. So here we go. You've got this perception. I need you to change it. I need it to be biblical. I need it to be what it really is. This is the God of the universe. Listen, if he had that perception of you, you would have never gotten saved. Let that one sink in. He would have never went to the cross. He would have just let you pay the price for it. But we know that's not true. He did go to the cross. He did die for you. He did give himself so that you could have a new life and forgiveness. Guess what, folks? He's still the same as he went to the cross in loving you. He loves you now, but he just wants you to do what's right, and he'll help you. So change your perception. See the compassion of Jesus. And so here's my hope. Here we are, we're January 2nd. We've got another 363 days to go, all right? Who knows what they hold? I can almost guarantee you it's going to hold some failure of yours. But here's what I want you to do before you get to that failure. is grow close to him and understand how much he loves you. And when that failure occurs, yes, you're going to be brokenhearted because you hurt the one you love. But you also know that your God, your Lord, your Jesus is compassionate and does forgive and will help you to overcome.
That's my hope for you. That's my prayer. Let me pray for you.